0: This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program.
1: Attention all serious natural lifters. Remember these two great websites, PhysicalCultureBooks.com and WebStrengthCoach.com. Write them down and visit them often. PhysicalCultureBooks.com and WebStrengthCoach.com. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training, the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something.
2: He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen.
0: Tonight, we welcome back my good friend, Dick Conner. Dick has been a regular on the show and was on the very first episode of Natural Strength Night, as well as episodes 2, 4, 6, 17, and 25. I've known Dick for over 20 years. I love the guy. We talk frequently and rarely have a conversation that is less than an hour long. Dick made the long drive from Indiana to Washington, D.C. to be a speaker at several of my Capital City Strength Clinics. Dick is one of the most honest, nicest, and funniest guys in the field. He's been involved in strength training for over 60 years, and he has a treasure trove of knowledge. We're going to be picking Dick's brain tonight about some of the many places and colorful Iron Game individuals he has met over the years. Dick is the founder of the famous Pitt Gym in Indiana and is one of the greatest powerlifting coaches of all time. Dick's pit gym powerlifting team won 19 state championships and nine national championships. The team traveled all over the country to meet any challenger. Dick has written many articles for Hard Gainer Magazine and NaturalStrength.com. Dick also wrote a great chapter for Iron Nation. Dick is still at the pit a few days every week. If you're going to be anywhere near Evansville, Indiana, you need to go get a workout with Dick. To contact Dick, visit the website thepitbarbellclub.com. Dick, buddy, thanks for your time and welcome back to Natural Strength Night.
3: It's always good to talk to you, Bob. It's uh, you got more enthusiasm than I think a guy should have sometimes, but you love what you're doing, and I know you love weightlifting, and of course that's really what it's all about. You got to like doing it. I don't, it's, or it'll become. <laughs> Not something that you do because you got to do it. It's something you do because you love to do it.
0: I definitely love doing it. No, thanks a lot, Dick. I appreciate that. Recently, you told me that you visited Arthur Jones in the late 60s and early 70s. Please tell us about that.
3: Well, you know, Iron Man magazine um, was one of the first magazines to ever say anything about Arthur Jones. And I, I think the reason that I was made a decision in the direction of Arthur Jones was because of that time in my life and the history of what I had done to myself and Also, I was training several people even at that time and When I read about what Arthur Jones had to say It made a lot of sense to me now uh, Today I would say Arthur Jones was not what I thought he was either but he was he he himself changed over a period of time and uh, and we might get into what I mean by that but Arthur Jones at that time I felt was one of the best and you know I so it's it's a long drive it's a heck of a story I mean if you want to hear it here's how it got started I we had I, I should have known about bodybuilding because I trained at Bill Pearl Gym for long enough to have seen some really world – I've seen the world-class bodybuilders at that time. Of course, Bill Pearl was the best in the world at that time, and uh, I'm talking about in the early 50s and middle 50s and what what have you, but uh, – and, and Leo Stern's gym down in San Diego also had Bill Glumick, and he was one of the best, and you know, Mr. America competitor, and of course, Mr. America was a big deal back then, but anyway – I'm training these guys in my basement. I had a couple of them that really looked good to me. I had a kid that was about 5'8", 185. He could bench around 360, real legitimate, and he really looked good to me. But I, I had forgot what a really good bodybuilder looked like, and I didn't know at that time about steroids. Now, I'm talking up in the uh, early 60s, you know, and it – it, 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 you know, in middle sixties, and most people don't realize probably that even steroids were back then, and even further back. But anyway, I thought these guys would make. We, we ought to go to the Mister Indiana contest. Well, we should have went to something a little littler. But anyway, I like training guys. These guys thought they were bodybuilders, so we went to the Mister Indiana contest, <laughs> and when they didn't do too well, but. but I had a kid who was reading an Iron Man magazine, had a picture of Sergio Oliva sitting on a pullover machine, and it was an outstanding picture in that day. It, even today, it would be pretty outstanding, but this kid said, we need one of these machines. I said, are you kidding me? I said, "I said my, my wife, which was my ex-wife now, said, you know, she was going through me, and I kept dragging kids into that gym. I was a policeman. And I got to know kids, and I, you know, and, and pretty soon, and I trained them for nothing back in. And and, and I, I got my basement full of a bunch of kids. And I'm talking about high school kids, and, you know, they're football players and that sort of thing. But anyway, I said, you kidding me? Well, anyway, when the contest was over, we got beat so bad, my guys did, I thought, well, maybe we do need some of these machines. Now, that's Saturday. So being in, typical of a, of, of a, of a weightlifter, I, 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 a good weightlifter is impulsive. He'll jump right in the middle of anything. The rest of them I ain't got no use for because they got too much good sense. A good way to judge So you just jumped in the
0: car and went to (laughs) the land.
3: Very close. I got two young, very young children. I got a brand new house and and, and I'm a policeman and I'm trying to make it. Well I decided I gotta have some of them machines in the basement. We gotta get some of those machines. But these things are expensive. And I didn't, it, there was no advertisement on how to get them. I just figured you could drive down there and get some. So I started working Monday on how I'm going to get some money. Well, I talked to my dad. He, you know, he, he kind of said, well, you're not lazy, but I wish you'd be interested in something worth being interesting. And, and, you know, and he, and so he, he, I finally worked with him, and I had a, another piece of money that I shouldn't have taken to do that with. But I, I said, well, I'm going to go down and buy some machines. And so I t- tell these guys, and we get in the car, and this is the very next week. I'm a police officer, and my lieutenant, I trained his son. So I said, look, I need to get uh, for his son. he do anything. So anyway, we take off to Florida. Now, it was the next week. it's probably Wednesday. So we go to the land, and we get there, and, I, you know, I'm expecting to see a, a big manufacturing place. And a little old building was not nothing, and I, I, I thought, my goodness, what is this? And anyway, <laughs> we we walk in, or I walk in first. Arthur Jones' reputation was already in in, in the group of people that I was with, the, the the kids I was with. They heard about him, and anyway, and he. When we walk in this little building. No bigger than this condo I live in at the most, probably not as big. Arthur Jones you is told me on the you phone. You
2: told
0: me, I think, didn't you tell me once before it was about the size of a gas station, if that, maybe smaller?
3: Well, it it reminded me of that sort of a thing. Yeah, you know, you got all kinds of sizes and gas stations now, but it was about like that. And I walk in and I park my junky car out front and... The, and, and Arthur Jones is on the telephone, and I never will forget what he said. He says, "If you," and I ain't going to say what he said. Complete. He says, if you, wanna, <laughs> "If you want a so-and-so answer, if you know, he says, if you want, he says, send me fifty dollars, and I'll, send, I'll tell you the answer." And I slammed the phone down. Turned and looked, and it wasn't very big, but he was a, certainly an intimidating man. I mean you know he had if you've read about him later, I never knew that boy his background you know with animals and all the things he 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 was certainly a, a genius, certainly a guy that uh, you know there are certain things you'd have to respect about him even if you didn't like him, and certainly, as a police officer for twenty five years and I rode to inner city all the time I rode where the tough guys were because i had a, a good deal if i did that and um he, he was just, uh, you could, i mean as a police officer i could recognize a, a guy that you <laughs> was bad news if you mess with him and you could tell he was he said "For you boys and of course i was a grown man <laughs> he said if you want to talk to me get in that old cadillac out there so we just turned around and went back and sat down in the cadillac a little bit later here comes arthur jones he gets in the car, and he don't shut his mouth, and we just sit there and listen. And he went to different places where he was having these machines made. Then I was told, you know, you can't buy these machines. you got to put 50% down. It takes 90 days to get them. You come back and get them. So anyway, Kim Wood was down there. He was a young man, and he told Kim Wood while he was there. He says, take these guys over to the high school. There was a high school over there where they had a big steel building like the old army buildings Quonset hut type thing and he had he had some of the machines in there and I watched him you know some people in there working out and <laughs> the thing that, that that impressed me the most was Arthur Jones's son i think he was probably around 16 he walked over to a squat rack it was, it was, And I don't remember how much was on there, but it was it, it was a good squat. And this guy went down with the weight. Well, he wasn't that big, and, and he literally sat on the floor with it. And I started to run to him to help him. And old Cam Wood grabbed me and said, wait a minute. He says, he'll come back up. He says, he's just showing off. And bigger than heck, man, he come back up with it. Impressed me. <laughs>
0: that, that was but, uh, Gary Jones, right?
3: Yeah, right, who later ran. You know, a later design hammer strength.
0: Right. But and uh, uh, how, how much weight did he have on the bar when he did that?
3: I really don't know. I, I think he was around 16. I don't know, but I, I want to say I want to say something. I mean, he sat on the floor. Wow. I mean, it, it, just like an Olympic lifter. You've seen pictures of it, or if you've seen Olympic lifters, so, you know yeah. they you know they get literally on the floor uh, at times, and he was down there like that. But I would say he he had somewhere somewhere between two and three hundred pounds, wow. and like I said, he wasn't that big, but neither neither was Arthur. But most people don't realize how strong Arthur was and his intensity level. Um, I understood that even Dick Butkus, you know, Dick Butkus was his buddy, right? And I was down there one time when Dick Butkus was there, and uh, Dick Butkus trained or work for him you know and and he had you know arthur jones could train with those guys there's no getting around it when he wanted to but anyway that was my introduction and <laughs> so on and so forth until so i come home and left 50 percent of my money down there and i didn't know i mean there was no way that i could have done anything if some, if he had called me and said you know we're out of business, and, you know or we're not in business or nothing, I just left my money with him. I don't even remember getting a receipt, but lo and behold, about 90 days, he calls me up. The bad thing, my car broke down, <laughs> and and I didn't get down there when I was supposed to, and, and so he he calls me up. Arthur Jones did. He said, if you don't get down here, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this stuff, and you're going to be put back on a list. going to be 90 days again for you. I says I'll be there as quick as I can get there, and I will. And so I took off, got <laughs> a trailer. Got a trailer when I was down there, and I got my car fixed and got down there and put these. I pull, it was a pullover, a pull down, a hip and back, and a leg extensions. And we had a leg press, homemade leg press, in my basement. And when I get home with the pullover, I told Arthur, that's pretty tall. He says, we have, I forget exact words, something like this. He said, we've considered all the factors. In other words, it'll work. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I get home. Now, this house is not over a year old. And my ex-wife was a nurse, so we made enough money to make it, although with two young children, one right after another, I, my girls are only about a year apart. And so we had these young children, and we didn't know the future, and, and so on and so forth. But I, here I come in with these machines. Well, getting the pullover down the basement was almost unbelievable because it, 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 it wasn't wide enough. So we, I, if I remember right, I tore up part of the wall, and then when I get down with a with a pull down, it's too tall. So, so I just I got me a sledge and I started beating a hole in the concrete. <laughs> uh, you, can, you know. I beat a hole in the concrete big enough to set that machine down in it, done some concrete work at the bottom, got that machine down in it. And in other words, i got a hole in my basement now. I ought to what might happen with water cause you know how basements are. But anyway, <laughs> I, that's how the pullover machine w- was set up. And so I, I, I had to go down. The, well, I had to bust all the way through the concrete and then do some rework and got it. Fix some bolts down there and set it up. So we went to work following some of Arthur Jones's beliefs. Of course, all of it worked, but we way overtrained. I mean, I had guys get get so sick because our leg routine was a, a, a kind of a non stop I mean, it, we didn't want you stopping. If you did, it was usually because you are sick. But we do like eight exercises for the legs. Way, you know, I wouldn't do that many exercises for the legs. Um, in in two weeks now that we done in one workout two or three times a week you know, but that's what right. we believed, and we believed the knowledge machines were going to change the whole world, and they did as far as um, introducing machines you know, in, in, into weightlifting and and of course I, I met Arthur Jones again later and uh, Doctor Ellington Darden was down there I never forget going Dr. down Cattaway, there one day. I, no, I never, I never talked to Ken Leisner. I never, if I if I seen him, I don't even remember. Kim Wood, uh, Ellington Darden, and Arthur Jones, and, uh, were, and of course uh, Gary Jones is the only ones. And of course, like I said, uh, we run into um, Dick, Butkus. Dick Butkus. Got introduced yeah. to him, and so on and so forth. But the, the place would probably one of the most interesting places in the world at one time because of all the pro athletes that were there. Uh, I mean, there'd yeah. be baseball players and just all kind of people there. Um, Kim was pretty sharp, you know. Kim was a, you know, Kim was a second in the state in high school wrestling in Illinois, and he played. I don't know if he wrestled in college or not, but he played football, and he may have wrestled one or the other for Wisconsin. And he's a sharp guy, and I'm sure he could buy and sell me about fifty times. He was smart enough to know that Arthur Jones was going places. He recognized that probably as early as anybody, and so he was on Arthur Jones's side. Now he's a tough guy. I don't one-on-one. Uh, he, Arthur Jones he had no business with him, in my opinion. But him, I remember he dropped a cigarette, and, and Kim jumped there and picked it up real quick and handed it to him. But I I, he, I, I looked at Arthur Jones like this, and Kim would I think recognize it, young. Uh, you know, like all, all these real wealthy guys that, that that get there, they're almost like they're nothing. And then all at once, like the computer world and, and these people, if you hang with them, stay with them, they'll make a millionaire out of you. And, of course, in Cam Wood's case, again, that's what happened. He, without a doubt, is a multimillionaire. Um, and I, I, I like the guy. Got You know, uh, over the years, I got to know him. And got to know him through Hammer's strength more than I did down there. He he certainly don't put on any airs if you've ever met him. He dresses about as common as you could. You wouldn't know that that he had a nickel. And, uh, in fact, a buddy of mine, I said, what do you think about Kim the way he dresses? If you've seen him out on the street, (laughs) he said, well, (laughs) I'd probably say do you I, or he said, I, "I probably think here comes a guy wanting a dollar or something," because he gets dresses like, you know, like he don't care about nothing. He sort of don't try don't try to prove anything, and uh, right. so on and so forth. He's yeah. an old Chicago yeah. boy, you know, um, mm-hmm. tough guy, and so on. And Arthur Jones, and but he he knew, you know, and Arthur Jones is that kind of guy. He he wanted loyalty beyond. You know, that's the way them people are, and I wish I'd wished i wished I'd have been smart enough.
0: Tell us about your many visits that you made to Hammer Strength headquarters in Cincinnati.
3: Well, you know, if you've never been there, it was a fantastic gym. I mean, they built a gym as a showplace for Hammer Strength, but I remember the first time that I ever heard about Hammer Strength, Kim Wood invited over a lot of people who had been that he knew and that was in the gym business to a dinner. Uh, and uh, uh, I remember right, even a breakfast, and a, they have all these speakers. And Ken Leichner was one of the guys that was there that spoke, um, and Kim Wood and other guys. I think the strength coach for I can't remember his name from Michigan, real good buddy of him. Uh, he, he was strength coach for years at Michigan, uh, buddy of Kim Wood's, and other guys uh, spoke at this thing. But anyway, I, I didn't even know what it was, and I asked the guy, I says, "What's this?" You know, they invited us over. This is a, r- a real old uh, a hotel, world-class hotel, beautiful place. And inside there was Hammer Strength. I, I, I was going to be Hammer Strength. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. It wasn't nothing at that time. And he, and so he, I said, what's this all about to this guy who was also invited? He, I said, he said, I don't know. They tell us they have these speakers. And then all at once in the middle of this speaking uh, or somewhere thereabouts, he said, they start talking about this new hammer strength. They're going to build this machine. And that Gary Jones had come over from Nautilus to be their designer, and they they were going to build these things. And so I thought, nah, man, are you kidding me? I thought, the whole world's flooded with machines. Ain't nobody going to buy this stuff. Well, again, there I was. You know, Kim Wood <laughs> and the guy who owns the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, Pete Brown. Mm-hmm. Went into business, and it was a fantastic thing, you know, and hammer strength is a good machine, you know. Still to this day, you couldn't tear one up if you dropped it off a building, and so on and so forth. But that's how we got introduced to hammer strength, which I thought wouldn't be nothing. And then later on, when I went back and bought some hammer strength machines and seen that the, they had set this gem up of all these hammer strength machines... And he had all kind of other things there. Kimwood had a tremendous uh, uh, thousands upon thousands of bodybuilding books and uh, weightlifting, every kind of magazine you could sit in his library and read them while you're just waiting for them to get your machines uh, in, uh, you know, the truck or whatever you're using to uh, haul them back. And so I'd sit up there. I'd rather go over and read them magazines than do anything else. And then, you know, uh, and that's what happened, you know. Uh, And and I met some other characters there, coaches and so on and so forth, uh, that I can't remember their names. But it it was a fantastic place to to just visit and see uh, the things they had. And um, they still have a neck clinic. And those guys, all those guys back then were hardcore lifters that were involved with equipment like that. But uh, nowadays it's businessman. You got to be a businessman more than you got to be a know-how, and with years of experience in weightlifting,
0: I had no machines at all till I was about 40, and it was mm-hmm. mainly because I was training people. But for my own training, I never used any machine except for the universal, you know, seated cable row and pull-downs, and everything else was was uh, barbells. But uh, once I got into the training business. Kim Wood gave me a great deal. He sold me a, a used hammer leg press that I still have. I think he sold me that thing about 20 years ago. I still have it. It still works great. So, uh, yeah, Kim was real good to me. He he gave me some good deals on some other machines I bought, too, and he also sent me a client that I played for the Bengals.
3: Well, he's he's an incredible uh, – he, he's, he, he's a guy that's, you know, got an incredible history just like you, um, you know – There's not many of those I mean I've been around things And done things because of my age And because I love what I've done But you guys have been somewhat collectors Either in your mind Of the history of this thing Much better than me Or Kim Wood has got And and, you know Not only equipment But books and everything I wish I would have done that But it seems like I I just literally gave away a ton of stuff over my life, because I, for the thing that made me give a lot of stuff away, good equipment, was I didn't have a building big enough to keep keep it in. Because I just kept buying stuff, but I'd have to get rid of some. I, I mean, I had stuff at uh, I had a uh, a Nautilus Inflametric bench press machine. Well, I bet you didn't make a dozen of them. Arthur Jones and changed things constantly. And I remember I was at a c- clinic one time. And up here in, in Indianapolis, and it was sitting around a table with a bunch of guys, and it's talking about equipment, and I said, something about having an infometric bench press machine. Well, this guy collected equipment, and he 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 and he almost jumped across the table. I said, well, I don't have it anymore. I said, I cut it up and tried to redesign it. I didn't like it. And he, he liked to die. Uh, but I was always doing something with, with a machine, you know. Uh, yep, uh, taking it apart and trying to do this or that. I mean, I just and I was too dumb to do that. <laughs> I didn't have that know-how. In, <laughs>
0: in, in my early days of training, those hammer strength guys helped me a lot. I used to call there all the time. I used to talk to Bill Jacobs and Tom Profit and Stoney Albert and Ted Lambernides and Kim Wood and. Gary Jones, all those. I used to call them all the time in the 90s when I was first starting out, and they helped me a lot. Then Kim Wood still sends out these packages. I mean, I haven't got one recently, but over the years, he's sent me tons of uh, packages just out of the blue. You get a package in the mail, and it's filled with some type of uh, old course or something that he has. He just sends it to you for free. Yeah, he's a a great guy.
3: Well, his son, too, is um, into all that, and... um and of course, his son, hes he's got to be proud of that boy because he's a big, nice-looking kid, played college football. And and he's real – his dad's a, a typical weightlifter, that impulsive you can see jump right in the middle of stuff. And yep. it, 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 uh, it, but his son is is more a little bit more logical, college-type, you know, but yeah. a big, strong man, very impressive. Right. But he's, he's not like his dad. I can see that. <laughs> he's, yeah, John. He, he's got a nice family. I tell yeah, I John nice on the phone a too. few times.
0: He's a he's a he's smart. He's a smart businessman.
3: Yeah, you can tell that. Yeah. I, I, I gave guess him my still, mailing
0: I... list. When he first started out, I think he was still in college or just getting out of college and he was working for Roger LaPointe at Atomic Athletic and I gave him my uh my mailing list, you know, back then. When back when no one even heard of him practically. But uh he's unbelievable now. He's got he's His website is unbelievable. His products. I mean, he's doing he's doing great. He's a smart guy.
3: Yeah, yeah, he is. And and like I said, you can see he's very level-headed. Probably, if if they were the same age, him and his dad running around at 18-year-old kids, that his son would have to say, "Now, Dad, (laughs) be cool, 'cause I could – Kim would jump right in the middle of something. I can see that pretty tough guy. Like I said, he's got second estate in wrestling. I got a lot of respect for wrestlers because I trained so many from a high school mm-hmm. here that was a winningest high school in the history of Indiana. In fact, yesterday I watched uh, the high school state champions. a championship, and the kid I trained, Joe Lee, won the state, and uh, the Lee brothers, there's three of them, and it w- one's at Penn State, and this one's getting ready to just skip out of his senior year. Go, he's got all these credits. He's going straight to Penn State. And I think how awesome can these guys be? But but anyway, you know, weightlifting again it is something that most guys I don't think recognize. You know, the need, it, it, how much you fall in love with it. I mean, it is one of the most addicting things that I've ever been around, and it's a good addiction. I mean, there's bad addictions and there's good if you use it right.
0: Dick, did you ever meet Ted Lamberti's when you were there at Hammer Strength?
3: If I did, again, I can't remember. And of course, I've, you know, for some reason, you'd think I would, because I remember meeting some old coach down there um, at Hammer Strength, an old football coach that worked for. Them. But I can't remember their names. And of course, I'd get so excited, even when I was older, about getting a new machine. I know this sounds crazy, and it's probably unbelievable to most people. I'm in the gym business. When at one time we were the only ball game in town, and had so many customers, we didn't want any more. I'm telling you, we didn't want any more. But I wasn't interested in, in in making money. And my partner, I kept buying machines. And then I get rid of the ones we had. If we, I thought it wasn't as good, to get another one. He finally says. And he says, look, I'm not want to do this like this. He says, I want to make some money for myself. All you want to do is buy machines. So I just literally made a deal with him without really sitting down and doing it. Okay, you collect the money. You stay up here on this desk. You can make most of the money. I'm going to buy machines with what I got. And I really didn't ever make any money in the gym business. i done what I like to do. If you like cars... Uh, or, or whatever it is you like. I like machines. I want to tell you the truth. Right. Some of the happiest days of my life were waiting for a machine to get there. I mean, yep. I, I, I loved them, you know. And um, uh, our barbell, I remember one time we were doing negative resistance. Kim Wood's one taught me into it, but basically, where, you know, you would just lift the weight up like on a leg extension and then let it down real slow, and then two or three guys would lift it up for you. I took his leg extension and welded a stainless steel bar across the back so we could stack plates on there. And then these guys were doing it's a wonder we had any knees left, but they would do it real slow, a negative resistance leg extension while we loaded we'd have all these plates loaded on there, plus the weight, the full weight stack, which probably is around 250 pounds, and. I had, uh, w- when I started doing these negative things, we needed more plates, and I I called York and ordered like 50, 50-pound 50 plates. We couldn't hardly really walk, the j- place wasn't that big at that time. We got a bigger place later, but we bent that front of that Nautilus leg extension, we being those guys, not me, and Nautilus had this, and this a new leg extension with a cam in it, and the uh, legs went underneath for the leg extension cuz we're doing these negatives but it, i mean that was what was exciting to me always something new always trying to find a better way and you know uh i heard i've heard you say it and other guys it all works and it does and uh, that's right if, you know so and a yeah. barbell is a great tool arthur jones you know he 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 said a, he he never said like I don't want to quote one guy that I've read here recently about how Jones run down the barbell basically he never run down the barbell he said it's far too good a tool for most people
0: right right but, i i know that a lot of people misquote him on that um
3: yeah
0: yeah before we move on to the next question i wanted to say one thing too because uh Ted Lambornidi he also sent me tons of packages he sent me it's amazing. Like he would do this research and regularly, like it wasn't once every six months. It was almost every month. I mean, for for many years, at least 10 years when I was in D.C., I would get this package filled with all kinds of research stuff and everything else. Almost every month I'd get this thing from Ted Lamberti's. I couldn't believe it. And he would send it out to lots of people. So he he did a lot of, you know, work for free just to help people. Uh, so, he you know, he's a great guy.
3: Well, again, he loved it. He loved what he he loved the sport, uh, and there was more of that back then. And that that, that yeah you, you could wrote a, write a whole book as to the way it is now. I mean, I cannot right. go in a gym without somebody saying, "Well, don't, that guy does he use steroids?" Over, and I want to holler at him and say, "My goodness, can't you look at him and tell?" You know, I mean, it's it, it's so confusing now.
0: Right. And. Uh, That's the thing now is there's overload of information. It's like it's almost worse, but we have way better equipment. We have way better knowledge. But the problem is the good knowledge and the good equipment for beginners. It's like finding a needle in a haystack because they get so much other confusing BS out there that even though we have great gyms and great equipment and great uh, nutritional information, we have great everything, but they're being – Practically drowned out by all the negative and inf- negative stuff, the the quackery.
3: Yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, it's it, it's very confusing, um, and it always has been. You had to wade through, you know, you got to wade through things. But I mean, again, muscle smoke and mirrors books have will, 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 will give a guy a good education, and right. and how you know about all the drugs and all this stuff, but. Uh, You know, I'm an old man, almost 80, and, you know, when you get older, you're going to have some aches and pains. I don't care who you are. Uh, I've never met anybody hardly. I mean, there are some that don't. And yet I see people walking around so bent up and twisted, they look like uh, they feel so sorry for them because I think some of them I might be able to help or could have. But anyway.
0: We'll be back with more right
4: after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling enlarginine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com.
2: Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle, Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with volume two, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the
1: Iron Master editor, Osmo Kiha, describes the book, Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's
4: SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of webstrengthcoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com. He will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs. A program right for you. Bob will give you feedback after every workout. This is old school fitness and nutrition. No fads and no gimmicks. Bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied. So visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let Bob help you reach your best self. webstrengthcoach.com
2: Do you enjoy history without social engineering, reading about our founding fathers, economics from a capitalist perspective, wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen. To maximize your natural muscular and strength potential, please visit physicalculturebooks.com.
1: Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation, a masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on Mindforce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindforceRadio.com.
2: You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mindforce Radio.
0: perfect time to bring up Perry Rader because I know that you've told me before that you grew to love Perry's advice uh, much more in your later years of training you know, could you please explain what you meant by that?
3: Well Perry Rader um, was a guy that knew a brief hard workout now, he he learned it over a period of time and, and he even wrote on it but the, the magazine itself did not influence me in, until I was older And when I was very young, it it wasn't colorful, like Joe Wheeler's magazines, and, you know, presented this Hollywood uh, image of if you lift weights, this and that, and all the kind of things, you'll be happy, you'll have this, you'll do that, I don't know, Uh, you know, It's but that wasn't Perry Rader's way. Perry Rader was probably as honest as anybody that's ever been in this game, and his book was very little print. It didn't have uh, this big colorful magazine, and so on and so forth. But it took me so long to see the end, you know, of, of what these guys were teaching. But Perry Raider, I'll go so far as to say, maybe had too brief his idea training. Most people don't know, but you know, I'm sure you do. He said he never really gained anything at all for, I think, about eight years. And then he went to twice-a-week training, which which is what I would tell almost anybody nowadays. I, I would never tell anybody, like in Joe Weider's magazines, train six days a week, I mean, I mean some of the most ridiculous, I mean I was on a routine Joe Weider recommended. And bless his heart. I mean, I don't know who was writing for him or who was doing it, But it. Like, ten sets of power cleans. And, like, you worked out four times a week, and you've done ten sets of deadlifts and ten sets of benches. Like, you've done 50 sets on Monday and then 50 sets on Tuesday, and then you rested on Wednesday, and you've done it over again. I mean, it's insane for an average guy. And, and in any way... I remember reading Perry Raider said train twice a week, period. But I would never believe that back until I went through an educational process of injuries, sickness caused by overtraining, and so on and so forth. I was convinced that you had to train almost every day and you had to do set after set. Another thing that Perry Raider emphasized was the squat flat-footed not with your heels on a board. Now, he wasn't perfect in his education. There's there's some information out there now that's really good on how to squat. And I don't like to get, get, recommend a squat to a guy that don't know how. I, I really would recommend a leg press. If you don't know how to squat, you better find out because it, it, it can wreck your back, it can wreck your knees, but done correctly, it's still a tremendous exercise with a barbell. But so was the leg press, and and, and you know, uh, I don't like to teach even the deadlift by just talking about it. it. It's fairly hard to teach and so on and so forth. But anyway, Perry Rader was a was a guy that recommended highly for the average and below average guy to train only twice a week and to do, and at the one time he had a recommended his 20-rep squat and of course, before he done the 20 rep squat, at one time I think he was doing a press, a press behind the neck, and a chin up. And then he recommended a few years later the bench press, bent over row, and 20 rep squat. But you know, one of the malaysia is what I was one of my first problems caused by doing squats with my heel on a board, and when your your knees go way over too far and it puts it causes wear and tear that cartilage underneath your kneecap and uh, so on and so forth. And it will not build the hip strength uh, and, and hamstring strength of, of a flat-footed squat and so on and so forth. But Perry recommended that very brief workout. Well, you couldn't have made me believe that when I, the first few years. Again, the bench press is a great exercise, but you got to know how to bench press, or else you're going to have shoulder problems. I've never, I, I have never seen anything. Of course, it, 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 it. One of the things about the bench, it's been so overdone that people think it's a bad exercise. It's not a bad exercise. It's just you got to know how to do it, and you don't want to be doing like I used to do, wide grip, ten sets of benches, bouncing them off your chest, et cetera, et cetera. You, you want to do them right, but. Um, the press too is i don't see many guys doing any kind of overhead press i still say it's a great shoulder exercise and uh, but again it ain't none of them that none of none of them that are that bad but you got to know how to do them and you got to you got to know that again uh, hey twice a week's all you need and if you're on steroids you ain't gonna listen to me anyway and you don't need you know any advice if you're going to get bigger because all you got to do is pump up. I mean, I realize that once a guy gets on steroids, he don't need no advice. He just pumps up. And um, yeah, I, if they're on steroids,
0: we we don't even want them to listen to this podcast.
3: <laughs> well, you know they're not going to listen anyway. Listen to,
0: we, we might convert them, but I mean, they're I look at them as the enemy.
3: Well, they it's I, I look at them as somebody stealing. Me too. You go in a gym, and you steal all the things that these other guys are working the right way for. And um, But again, I got buddies. That's, I mean, I got to know a lot of these guys. Some of them are the nicest guys you ever meet. And uh, so I just got to say, well, that's their choice. And I, I ain't going to, I mean, <laughs> the other night, <laughs> I was, when I was down the pit, this big guy, he's He's, a, I mean, he's a he's a monster. I'd say he's about four hundred, squatted over nine, and uh, right there in the gym. And he, and they got the equipment down there to do so. You know, he's a he's a big, powerful man anyway. But I mean, the, his buddies are on this stuff. But when you get to know them, they're just a bunch of nice guys. But again, it, the one thing I would beg him to do almost don't com- try to compete against these guys. It's not on drugs. Stay away right. from that compete. But invariably, they have caught people down at the pit that will come, jump in the middle and, and catch them. It's, if you had the money, you know, you can catch more than one. But the, 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 the contests are not as big as they used to be. There's, there's more organizations, and they do catch people. And, it, I mean, lo and behold, I was training a guy, and I swear to goodness, I never thought he was on it. I never thought he would get on it, and right. one, so he's in competed. He, you know, and we went to different contests. I had t- happened to me twice that I didn't know about, it. and uh, anyway, one adve- admitted it to me some years later, and he was a strength coach in the college strength coach. He admitted he had used it, which I appreciated him telling me. And then this other guy got caught, and I was stunned i mean i just got i couldn't believe it because he's as old as he was and so on and so forth had a family yet he got on this stuff and then it wasn't very long thereafter he tore his shoulder up bad it's really dangerous powerlifting and using steroids bodybuilding ain't so bad because all you do is pump up nowadays they don't have to use heavy weights you know and they shouldn't because they're going to wreck their body but anyway i know i got off on a tangent about drugs
0: no that's okay Dick, please describe some of the times that you met Bob Hoffman and John Grimmick.
3: Well, the f- first time that I met Bob Hoffman was up there at York, Pennsylvania, and Grimmick was up there, too, uh, which it, I, I guess the place is still there. It's uh, you know, It was a nice museum that I, Bob Hoffman literally built. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on up there at York, um, if they you know, somebody building that place more, taking care of it. Well I mean, it,
0: it's getting better now. Know. It it really fell down there for a while, like in the 90s or, you know, after Bob Hoffman died, I think it changed ownership a few times. It was really bad there for a while when, you know, bars were breaking and it was just sad. But what I've heard, they have a new owner who's – uh well, I don't think he's new. He's been there a while, but the, the current owner I guess is uh really doing a good job I've heard. He's uh trying to bring it back and uh so so far I mean I've heard good news that it's coming back.
3: Yeah. Well you, you know, the that 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 museum up there is quite interesting to a weightlifter and um I was up there with a whole a whole teenage team and one time we were going up to New York area to compete. We competed in New York and uh, that group up there had a powerlifting meet right in the middle of New York City us there would never be another one there because the money it cost to have one and Leisner evidently knew somebody in a hotel rather right? fantastic and then up above New York City there about 10 mile another place where they had the deadlift nationals and really some nice contests but you know anyway we competed up there but we, we stopped by York we'd go out of our way stopped by York several times I stopped by there with a the teenage team, and lo and behold, we run into Bob Hoffman. And, and Bob was, uh, he was old. <laughs> he was older than I am now. And he, what is this, uh, in the
0: early 80s or something like that? Um,
3: Late 70s? I mean, it, it probably, we, we competed as a teenage team from 75 up to the middle of the 80s.
0: Um, he died somewhere, I
3: think, in the mid-80s. Well, he was he was up there I mean you know he he was a big man too and of course uh, met him there he was real friendly and we talked with him and then he also the Heart of America uh, there was a contest called the Heart of America George Turner running St. Louis George Turner was a a real good friend of Joe Gold they were George Turner made equipment it was really good stuff but George was not a very good businessman. he's kind of a typical old-time weightlifting that owned a gym and and his gyms were really good really good equipment and he run this contest and he knew everybody and uh some way he he, he had bob hoffman at that contest with uh, uh, that olympic lifter again i can't tell ours old can't pronounce his name uh, he, he was an Olympic. I think he was an Olympic gold medal winner. He was with Bob Hoffman, and Bob Hoffman used to wear all them medals on his chest. I don't know where he got them. All. He'd have a, a, a you know a, a jacket on and have these medals on there. And then he was at the Heart of America, and Joe Weider was there too with Mike Mincer. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, these two guys were almost uh they're touching each other and of course i heard they were enemies i don't know if they really were that much of enemies but uh they you know wrote things about each other <laughs> people you know with the thought they were but <laughs> but they, they you know george turner was so well known by those guys and he had this contest and i mean you had i mean everybody was there in the power lifting I can't remember, just a second, I'm running back up there to York, I I also wanted to see the old gym, and, you know, they had, where they trained, well, it wasn't there at the museum, it was in another place, and it was across town, kind of there in New York, and I went over there, and I can't think of the name of the guy, he was also an Olympic coach, along with Bob Hoffman, and he was a real nice guy, and he showed me around that place. And so Turpac. on and so forth. But no, it wasn't Turpak. This guy pr- primarily was remembered for his coaching. I don't know what how good he was at Olympic lifting. But he was, you Smith. know, there you go. That's him. And uh, yep. he, he showed me all around and showed me the old trophies. He had a whole bunch of old trophies, fantastic trophies, some of them, in a room uh, all by themselves, kind of just stacked over so nobody could see him. And they were putting them together later, I think, to put over to the museum. But uh, I know the Shah of Iran uh, had given him some trophies for some kind of weightlifting guns. They were an unbelievable looking things; looked like they had emeralds in them and everything else. But anyway, I got to, I went over there. But uh, Grimmick, the the time that I can remember meeting Grimick the best was I'm I'm out to the 1984 Mr. America contest in Pasadena. And I'm in this hotel, and I'm standing waiting for the elevator door to open up, and the door opens up, and there stands John Grimmick. And the thing that got me the most, that shot me the most, and I know I'd seen him before, but the thing that shot me the most is the man had a, he his bone structure, I mean, he had a big, powerful head on him, and of course, I didn't. You know, he had wrists and everything else to match. You know, John Grimmett could have been a monster. now He never really wanted to be, I think. What I mean by monster, it's hard telling how big he could have been. You know, I've read where he said he tried all kind of ways not to get his legs bigger. He'd done high reps and low reps and everything else because he didn't want his thighs any bigger, didn't want big pecs muscles. Didn't hardly train him, but he he was a he he was a a guy that was very impressive in in that area and anyway, a little bit later, probably in the same day and I just spoke to him then we were at where they were warming up or something for the mr American I'm back here and i run in and john again started talking a real friendly guy, and we got to talking this and that and what have you but uh like I said, that was nineteen eighty four and you couldn't keep from liking john grimmick he he was as down to earth and yet when he said it he he reminded me again of some of those guys uh Leo Stern was the same kind of guy you know when he said something, you listened because out of respect and the way they said it, they had a lot of confidence right. in themselves, and they and they they were you know they'd have made good uh leaders in any area. But he was a great guy, and uh, probably, you know, <laughs> flexibility, strength, and what have you. It's hard telling what he could have been if, you know, if he'd have used his stuff like these guys do nowadays. But he was a great lifter, a great bodybuilder, that one who could have had much bigger areas in his body. I mean, he could have had the freaky thighs that some of these guys have got nowadays. And uh, yeah, but we're
0: uh, that's it, the reason we love him so much is because he didn't use it. I
3: right. don't
0: even like to think that he what he could have been if he used it, I wouldn't like him then. I love him more now because he I know that he was all natural,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, he you know, but I remember at the, the 1982 Mr. America contest, he was there, and that was up there in the east coast somewhere. I had a guy that I had in both 82, 83, and 84, Mr. America, Wayne Martin, he should have won, but there's a reason he didn't. And I'm not talking about he should have won the overall Mr. America. He should have won his height class. He was a black kid. He had it all. But anyway, he got fourth in the first contest. Well, he was the youngest guy in there, and I knew we could do it if he would. But we had problems, and eventually we had to... Kind of fell apart, but with, with I haven't seen him for years. I never seen him since about 1984, after the last Mister American, because of problems we had. But anyway, um, there was an article in the newspaper the next day after the 1982 Mister American. He was asked, he said, "What percentage of these guys use steroids?" He says, "100 percent." Right. That's what, it, that's the, how outspoken he was about it. He says, "100 percent," you know. And so, what, what, the, you know. I,
0: uh... Yeah, Grimick was such a nice guy because, I mean, in 1976, I went and visited York, too, just like you, and I went to the gym afterwards, which was in a different building, and I saw the museum, and I have wrote about this several times, but uh, I, one of my regrets is I didn't get to meet Bob Hoffman. He wasn't there that day, but I did get to meet John Grimmick, and it was one of the highlights of my life is going up into his office and sitting there with him for like a half hour, and it was... Awesome. I mean, he he asked me as many questions as I asked him, and he was very yeah, friendly, can... very nice guy. I mean, he wasn't trying to get me to leave. I finally left because I wanted to let him get back to work after about 30 minutes, you know. But he's extremely nice guy.
3: Yeah, he was. At, yeah, that's what he uh, impressed me with. That he just what you said. He would he would ask you questions. He would he would respect you, and he would want to know what you had to say. And um
0: yeah I get this big picture that Vic Boff gave me. It's a poster of John Grimick, and um I get a museum frame you know with the with the glass that protects it from getting damaged. It's like a museum quality frame. I put the autograph that I got from John Grimick when I visited him in nineteen seventy six I put that autograph on the bottom of that picture and uh I guard that with my life. You know, that's been in my gym for years, and now it's in my house now, but it's so cool to have. It's, it's the equivalent of uh, a baseball player visiting and getting the autograph of Babe Ruth.
3: Right. You know, uh, I, I used to ask questions sometimes back in of people who were in this game, and, uh, you know, in, in a way to get th- their answered as to what I thought they believed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, remember, I remember this bigger in life. I asked Arthur Jones, I said, we we were talking, I says, you know, John, and, I, you know, at that time I hadn't met John Grimmick. I says, and, of course, the photography back then and all them things was different, too. And anyway, I said, you know, I said, you know, is he wasn't as good as they claimed, was he? He said, yes, he was. I mean, he just... I remember Arthur Jones came back and he just told me right up front, yes, he was, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, so I didn't say anything. I was trying to find out more than anything because I hadn't met him and, you know, I didn't, and, you know, I'd met Bill Pearl and seen him face to face and he'd sitting across the desk and talked to him and all that. Yep. Uh,
0: Dick, did you see you Arthur know, Jones put someone through a workout or did you just see him talking to him?
3: No, I never did see him put anybody through a workout. No. Um, oh, okay. And and I've been to clinics, you know, where he spoke too, you know. Um, I was at a clinic up there in Cincinnati where he spoke after Casey Vieter left him. He was so mad. Now, I'm telling you, it's funny, but he was so mad when they introduced him and Jones would stay up all night, you know, and talk, I mean, he he probably, from what I understood, he needed a couple hours sleep a night at the most. He just wasn't, sleeping wasn't his game. He, he, he gotta, Just like Dr. again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing about Jones is, you know, he smoked cigarettes all the time and drank coffee, and he still lived to be about 80 years old. He'd done pretty good for a guy that never had a good meal in his life, I don't think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and he was shot, according to him, he shot five or six times. You know, wow. and he 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 was quite a character. And um <laughs> but you know, always carried a gun and so on and so forth, but
0: I heard you know, stories he that it. sometimes he used that gun when he put people through workouts, you know, but um as a prop, you know, like go to failure and it put the gun to you. But I've heard all kinds of stories. I know he could be vicious when he put people through workouts. He would use any psychological tactic, and do anything that he could to extract, you know, maximum effort out of you. I mean, I guess that was, I I never saw him train. I I never met him, but that's the stories I've heard. So you
3: probably heard Mm -hmm. some of the stories. I I don't know. You know, I've heard, you know, you know how stories are. I I, I had a story about me like that. Arthur Jones, from every story I've ever heard about him, and everything I've ever seen uh, when I was around him a few times was he's, you know, you know, I believe he carried a gun all the time, and you know how it is. I, I There's a whole right. bunch of guys do that. <laughs> uh, having been a policeman, I mean, policemen get, it, you know, they get just like guys that have been in combat. They're afraid the next-door neighbors after them and so on and so forth. But, you know, anyway, weightlifting worlds had all kind of characters, um uh, right I was thinking you know I met Mickey Hager one time and James Manfield was with him you know and um uh, on that island and it, when I was in the navy I was in the navy and the army but I was on on an island marshall islands and Mickey Hager came wow. over to our little gym and um and and, we, and and he he showed us how to do some things and you know we knew already but he He was Mr. Universe, and Jay Mansfield's right there with him. She's in this little old nasty gym, right with old Mickey (laughs) Haggerty and Haggerty, how you announce his name.
0: Please revisit the time that you met Vince Gironda.
3: Yeah, uh, he was quite a character, too. You know, all those guys were my kind of guys as far as respecting them. I mean, they were different, but, you know, I could have trained in any of them's gym, learned a lot, and, of course, you hear about these places back then. And I, I was at Vince's a couple of times. And anyway, one time we, we, we the, the the second time I was there, we was going to Mr. American. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Second time I was there, we was going to Mr. American. And I had the kid I was training. And so he was good enough to be in that gym and stand out. Um, so on and so forth. But now there's two different times I was there. And but this time, one of the guys with me who was an engineer, he said, man, this stuff. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, Vince Garanda's gym was, was not, it, it didn't even have any lights, I don't think. It had a skylight. And in that part of California, I probably didn't need any heat. Uh, maybe a little air conditioning. I don't know if he even had that. But, I mean, this place was very small and average, but you, it was well-known throughout the world. And, um, anyway, this guy was, you, you could hear anything anybody said in there. They, that's how little it was. And he says, this stuff's all homemade. This guy, well, Vince Garana thought it was me. Man, he came after me like a wild man. And and, and I hollered at him. I said, I didn't say nothing. That wasn't me that said that. Well, he got carried away a little bit. But then I had a buddy, another buddy's with us. He's cool hand Luke. He says something to Vince. He says, Vince, can I hit your picture? Man, it was almost like it was fixed that way, so I would get out of trouble. Well, Vince had a little mirror in there, <laughs> and you'd have to see where it was at in the gym, but it was right there, close to where he stood all the time. So he runs over the mirror, and he had a real good-looking head of hair, thick for his age, you know. He combed his hair, and he turned around with a little that Vince Garanda flex he gave, and uh, my buddy took a picture of him, kind of got Vince off my back, and I, and I was in there another time. With, uh, me and some guys took a trip. We took a trip, me and three other guys. We we, we was going to see as many gyms as we could throughout America. as in 1981, I think it was. And we traveled 17 days. We went all the way down to San Diego, all the way up the coast, and we'd stop at gyms all the time. Anytime time we'd find a gym. In fact, that one guy that you knew was out, to, I think, in Omaha. And, uh, Champion but anyway, Charlie's
0: in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah,
3: there you go, Champion Charlie's. You got it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I trained there.
0: One of my good friends in the Air Force, he was stationed at Offit, and I went to visit him, and uh, we trained there a few times. I mean, that's where he regularly trained when I was visiting him. We had a couple of workouts there.
3: But, I mean, that was, that was Garanda, and, of course, those guys back in, Leo Stern was the same way. Uh, I asked Leo Stern to spot me on the bench. He said, get one of those guys to spot you, and I thought, man, I'm going to ask him <laughs> nothing anymore. Well, he, he didn't have time to be spotting every Tom, Dick, and Harry. You know he 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 was he was running a business, and um
0: if you're in a gym business or even a a personal training business and you're you know you're doing strength training the right way, like the way I do it or the way you do it and the way you know a lot of guys we know do it, you kind of have to be that way at first, like you know when people first call me i, I I'm a little rough on the phone too because most people don't know anything and they're, they're a pain in the ass. So you just gotta, you gotta weed out the people. And, you know, finally, you know, once you talk to them a little bit, your respect gets bigger as you talk to them. And as you get to know like what they know the way I am right now, it's like, I don't need to train people that much. I just want three or four people that aren't going to waste my time and be a pain in the ass. So if I have like three to five people that I like and, uh, you know, I want them in my house because now I'm just training a few in my garage and that's it. Yeah, that's fine. That's all I want. I don't want a big thing with a bunch of people in my house, you know. So I'm kind of like that way now. I'm a little gruff on the phone. I can understand why they do that.
3: Oh, yeah. He he had to. And, I mean, I've seen him jump on Bill Golubik, who probably – was the best-built guy there because Pearl had left and and, and moved up. He might have been in L.A. at that time, but he had another gym. Or he was up in uh, uh, Sacramento, or I think, well, I think he was up there. But anyway, uh, Bill Glumick was the best-built guy in the gym. And he jumped on him just like a little boy, and I, I, it scared me to death. And, I, again, I was about 18 years old, and I thought, man, he must really – I thought he was an old man to start off with. He was probably <laughs> – 30, 38, you know, when I was 18, you know, you know how that is, 20 years different. Right. But he was a young man, and I, and I didn't think he worked out, of course, but he had a good bill. Well, he was Mr. California. In fact, he was going to enter the Mr. America back then, but they wouldn't let him because, you know, you, if you run a gym, you was con- the AAU considered you a professional. And, and it was illegal for him to enter, and so he didn't do it. But he probably would have been Mister America, a good Olympic lifter too. Leo Stern was, but but I mean you know that's the way they were. And uh, I remember I been in Joe Gold's gym, that World gym, that new one. And I said, there's two things I remember. It seemed like I could get in trouble everywhere I went. I mean I'm a growing man by now for sure. And, and I said, <laughs> I said, can I look at your gym? He says, look at it. And he, <laughs> <laughs> and, so I started looking, but I remember the biggest sign in the whole place. I mean, this sign had to be uh two foot by four foot hanging from the ceiling type place thing sign. It said, if you don't know how to train, go somewhere else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, that's hey. the way they were.
0: I know you've said this before in one of your previous podcasts, but you know, you said before that there are more good gyms in Evansville, Indiana. Than there were in the whole country when you grew up. And we also heard Tommy Kono say, you know, how he hitchhiked 120 miles round trip just to use an Olympic bar. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I never saw an Olympic bar until I was in the military. Just the machines, and I mean, you were lucky to find a gym, you know, probably in your day. So, uh, yeah, please. And everybody smoked cigarettes too. I mean, everybody smoked. Coaches oh, smoked, yeah. athletes smoked, everybody smoked. I mean, no one was behind lifting weights. Coaches were all against it. You were pretty much by yourself if you wanted to lift weights. So, uh, and you're about 18 years older than me. So it's just a mat. It was a lot worse when you were growing up than when I was growing up. So yeah, go over the night and day difference how it was. You know, when you were growing up trying to train, find good good information and get equipment. You know, compared to now.
3: Yeah, it was. You know, like what you said. There's there's 10 places in this town better than anything California even thought about having. And California was in New York city was, you know, had, I think Goldberg's gym in New York city and Gold and, uh, Leo Sterns in California at that time were probably the two top gyms. But, um, yeah, you know, there was, if you go in a place, and the first time I seen an Olympic bar was Leo Stearns. He had, Leo went back before the Second World War. He started before, you know, he was Clancy Ross and him were buddies. Uh, and, you know, they, he had an Olympic bar. Well, it was just almost unbelievable. Now He had a nice set of dumbbells. You just didn't see anything like that. I mean, uh, these these guys nowadays have got everything. It's almost, it's it's so overdone. The Pitt Barbell Club, I don't know how many machines it's got in it now. I mean, he's got so many machines. It's four times bigger than it was when I had it. It's in a different building. It's at least four times bigger, maybe six times bigger. And I, he's getting just like I got it. He's got so much equipment now that he's got to almost back off Um putting anything else in there without getting rid of something i i love them all i wouldn't recommend them all i mean he's got every i don't know the. i cannot name all the different brands he's got you know and he's got a, a, a heck of an olympic i mean a, a lifting area two places uh, three places for deadlifting. he's got uh five squ- five or six squat cages he mono lift he's got you know just about everything i don't know how many olympic sets but everybody's spoiled, you know. I mean, you, this group's got to use a different bar to deadlift than this group. I mean, so they got different deadlift bars. They got different squat bars. They got everything. If you'd have, if you'd jerk a guy out of nineteen fifty five and put him in there, he he would have been stunned because uh, you know it, it just, uh, it's just it's a great place to lift weights nowadays. But again, steroids ruins it because. These guys take over a young person's mind, and they look and they see those guys, and I'm not running them down as far as being personable people. Some of them are nice as you get, but is that what it's all about?
2: When did you
0: get your first barbell set? How old were you, and what book or what magazine or what was it that got you started? What gave you the interest? Did you just pick up a copy of Strength and Health, or how did that happen?
3: You know... I can remember having a couple of magazines. I got my first barbell set when I was a sophomore in high school. And Evansville had Earl Clark, who was who was a Mr. Universe, that went to Leo Stern's gym from Evansville. There was a guy that trained in his backyard in Evansville. They got pretty famous, and Earl Clark. And they built a little gym inside the YMCA. The YMCA detested it. They did not, but they had enough put enough pressure that they give him a little room upstairs where they had some some weights. And the guy that was in the business with me, Bud Downing, uh, who literally run the pit when I run around training people in the gym, um, also trained there. But I got this set. I remember bringing, I can remember this day, them bringing it in. And this guy said, are you going to use this stuff? It was that 110-pound barbell set, you know.
0: I remember I got my first 110-pound set when I was 13. I told my my parents, please, you know, make sure it's a York set. You know, I didn't want a uh, Sears plastic set, you know, a Ted Williams Mm -hmm. special. I wanted the York. It had to be York. So uh, I was lucky that I I got a York 110-pound set when I was 13. But I was doing Charles Atlas uh, dynamic tension and dips between chairs and all kinds of calisthenics and push-ups and pull-ups and everything else from the time I was 10 and I had a little 10-pound dumbbell that I used. I didn't really know what I was doing with it. So, But, uh, yeah, so I started working out since I was 10 but didn't really have a barbell till I was 13.
3: Right. Yeah, That's uh, mine was Healthway. I remember uh, the name now pretty clear. And I used it for a bit, didn't do it. And then I got into wrestling, and then I moved it outside. And, and I hmm. built me a thing outside to do chin-ups right in the backyard. I went and cut down a couple of... Trees, and drilled, drilled a hole. My dad had a, one of those drills that you twist with your arm and drill. I drilled a hole through it. I put these two trees about three foot apart and <laughs> run a bar through there, you know. And I do chin-ups outside, and I and I had my weights out there. And I I built an incline bench, and that was when wow. I was about uh, a junior. Then some way I got I, I got away from them a little bit, and then I joined the Navy. And then then I was playing softball on a aircraft carrier, USS Hornet, a softball team, and I was a center fielder, and the catcher, uh, I know I've told you before, this guy's name was Jim Thacker. I never seen a guy built like him. Of course, he was real natural, and I didn't know anything about being real natural, but he, I said, man, where'd you get all that muscle? muscles I used to lift weights? Well... He wasn't that old, but he hadn't been lifting for. I says, well, you show me, and he showed me, and That's that was it. Man, I fell in love with it then. And uh, Again, I was on that aircraft carrier. I was about 18 years old. So I really got into it then, and that's when my whole history started. And we went to the Philippines. You met Leo Stern. Yep. Yeah, and a guy in, in the Philippines. I was at a little gym, a great little place in the Subic Bay. And that, the, that Filipino guy that run it told me, he says, he tried to correct me on some things. I wished I would listened to him. Man, he was sharp, and I don't remember his name, but he was right about me. I was overtraining one area and not doing anything for the other and so on and so forth. But anyway, there was another guy in there, and he said, when you get back to San Diego, you go see Leo. He'll straighten you out. He'll help you. And so, <laughs> but I didn't listen to Leo That's either. Great, Leo made me a workout, but I didn't like it, so I trained it. I remember telling Leo, "I said, <laughs> I said, I don't want to do that exercise. I want to do an arm exercise. He says, that is an arm exercise, boy. I thought, okay. I had a lot to learn. Well, Dick, that's going to be a wrap. Thank you
0: so much for your time. Uh, You gave us some awesome information and some real funny stories. And thanks again, Dick, for being on the show.
3: Well, I appreciate you, Bob. You're always enthusiastic and a great guy to talk with.
2: Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs.
1: Attention all serious natural lifters. Remember these two great websites, physicalculturebooks.com and webstrengthcoach.com. Write them down and visit them often physicalculturebooks.com and webstrengthcoach.com
2: That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on mindforceradio.com Please bookmark that website mindforceradio.com Bob is always looking for new writers for naturalstrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion and have a strong anti-steroid stance He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show please send your articles and training questions to Bob at mindforceradio at earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.